Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the third to the third of a series of six talks on the MENA region. MENA stands for Middle East North Africa. For the benefit of those of you who may be tuning in for the first time in this series, um, the North Africa part of the MENA region uh, stretches from uh, Morocco on the west. Um, and bordering on the Atlantic Ocean to Algeria, Tunisia, and uh, Libya. The rest of the 17 countries of the MENA region are all in the Middle East from the standpoint of political and, um, and economic analysis, even though geographically Egypt is primarily in Africa, uh, it interacts almost exclusively or primarily uh, with uh, the countries of the Middle East rather than those of the so-called Maghreb, the um, North African countries. Uh, so it's considered part of the Middle East. And that stretches from Egypt to in the, in the West uh, to um, Iran and um, Afghanistan in the, in the East. Um, the MENA region is uh, primarily uh, Inhabited by um, Arabic, uh, by Arabs, uh, there are various tens of millions of uh, Turks and Persians also. Uh, those are the uh, second and third largest population groups. Uh, and then there are also um, Jews in Israel, uh, Kurds, maybe four or five million Kurds in uh, Syria, Iraq, and um, Turkey. Uh, and other smaller groups like such as the Baluchis and the Assyrians and, and others. Um, religiously, uh, the uh, MENA region is overwhelmingly Muslim. However, having said that, it is divided into two, the two great Muslim sects, which are entirely antagonistic towards each other. That is the Sunni Muslims and the Shia Muslims. Uh, the uh, Shia in the, uh, are almost absent in uh, North Africa, uh, in the Maghreb. Uh, in the uh, Middle East, uh, they are uh, dominant in Iran and Iraq, and there are many Shia also in, um, uh, in uh, Syria, Lebanon, and Bahrain. Um, there are about 10 million Christians uh, in Egypt. Uh, there are about seven and a half million Jews in Israel. Uh, and um, uh, there is a substantial Druze um, population in uh, Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. Um, having said that, they, uh, we should say a, mo a word or two about uh, the situation of the Gulf states. That is uh, Kuwait, um, Bahrain, uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, and um, Qatar particularly, uh, which have very large populations of workers uh, from countries uh, such as Pakistan, India, and uh, as far east as, as the Philippines. Uh, these uh, people, um, Particularly in uh, uh, the uh, in the United Arab Emirates and in uh, Qatar, outnumber the actual citizens of those countries, uh, but they, uh, of course, uh, do not uh, are not considered citizens, and they don't have the the rights and privileges of citizens of those countries. But then there are very many many of them are Muslims, but uh, there are also Hindus and and uh, Christians and others. Uh, okay. As always, uh, before starting on the main topic of this month's talk, uh, I'm going to mention uh, the principal event that took place in the MENA region between last month's talk and today. And that certainly is the trip by President Biden to um, Israel and uh, Saudi Arabia, which just took place uh, 
last week, earlier this week. Uh, I'm going to divide this into two parts, the, the Israeli part of it and the Saudi part of it, because uh, the, uh, the, uh, the trips were very different in terms of their uh, results. Um, in terms of the Israeli trip, there, there, was, there were good results and not so good results. Um, the, the, uh, Biden presented uh, the Israelis with a, a written agreement for the first time. Uh, it's not a formal, very formal document. It's not an executive order. It's not certainly an act of Congress, uh, but it has been. It, it does put down in on paper uh, for the very first time uh, that uh, Israel and the United States have a strategic alliance. And um, the cosmetics of the trip were, were very good, uh, mostly in uh, in Israel, including a touching uh, moment when he greeted two uh, Holocaust survivors and um, spent a lot of time with them, much more than it was supposed to be. Uh, on the other hand, uh, there was uh, problems uh, with reference to uh, his uh, relations uh, interaction with uh, Palestinians. Uh, in the first place, uh, uh, he took the uh, Israeli when he visited a an Arab uh, hospital in East Jerusalem, and now this is not in the West Bank. This is East Jerusalem. Uh, he took off the Israeli flag from his limousine. This did not go over well in Israel, as you can imagine. But he uh, announced a uh, substantial. Uh, uh, contribution to the hospital, and later in his uh, conversations with the president of the uh, Palestinian Authority, uh, he uh, mentions a, a contribution to the UNRWA, the UNRWA, uh, the uh, uh, relief, uh, the UN Relief Authority for uh, Palestinians. Uh, this is directly contrary to the uh, Taylor Force Act. And uh, is uh, a lot of people think that it's, it, it's an illegal move on the part of the Biden administration. Uh, and uh, a very interesting and important thing to note is that the Arabs have almost, the Arab countries have almost completely ceased to contribute to, to UNRWA. Uh, the only country that's still making, con uh, the only Arab country that is still making contributions to UNRWA is Algeria. All the rest of them have stopped making contributions. And uh, it is quite noticeable that uh, the, um, um, the, the Arab countries, uh, along with the Arab Abraham Accords and so on as well as Israel, uh, have uh, pretty much given up on uh, the Palestinian cause. Now, moving on to the, his visit to Saudi Arabia, that, that can only be considered something of a, of a diplomatic disaster. Um, he made a fundamental error uh, when he met with uh, the crown prince uh, and started out the conversation by talking about the Khashoggi murder and, and said that the CIA Blame the crown prince as as the author of the of the of the murder of uh, Khashoggi. Well, if you want to get things something from or anything from uh, the person that you're negotiating with, you don't start out by attacking him. And um, uh, he, he could have uh, brought it up, and uh, later on in the conversation, after talking about uh, uh, mutual. Uh, uh, interests vis-a-vis uh, -vis Iran, for example, and uh, encouraging a further rapprochement with Israel and uh, the possibility of increasing oil rev uh, production, and then brought it up later in a discussion uh, uh, of uh, human rights in general, and started even that aspect by congratulating the Crown Prince on, on the uh, progress that he's made um, in the last couple of years um, uh, particularly in, in such areas as uh, women's rights, uh, and then mentioned the Khashoggi thing. But no, he started off with it at the very beginning, and he had to say that the CIA um, 
has decided that uh, uh, the Crown Prince uh, was behind the whole thing. Well, it's interesting that the, the Crown Prince responded to this opening attack on the part of Biden by saying, in the first place, Mr. President, uh, and he, he went on about the trials that took place in Saudi Arabia of those who, who committed the, uh, the murder and those uh, who commanded them and so on, and that they had been tried. Many of them had been convicted and uh, those convicted were in jail. Um, secondly, he said, as far as the CIA is concerned, it's my understanding that the CIA uh, also uh, announced uh, after 9-11 uh, that uh, the Iraqis had the weapons of mass destruction. And of course, we now know that they had no weapons of mass destruction. But on the basis of that, the United States has spent tens of billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of lives uh, pursuing uh, the, uh, the will of the wisp uh, that uh, resulted from, from that uh, uh, faulty information. Anyhow, uh, he gets, he gets a, a B, for, for the Israeli part of the trip and a solid F uh, for the uh, Saudi part of it. And in fact, uh, because of that, uh, he, he really came away with nothing from the Saudi meetings. Uh, no increase in, in oil production, uh, no uh, immediate uh, continuation of, uh, of the recent progress towards the rapprochement and joining the Abraham Accords with Israel. And in fact, um, it may very well have uh, led to the crown prince saying, it's unlikely to take place until there's an agreement with the Palestinians. He might very well have not said that uh, if, uh, if Biden had not uh, utilized such uh, terrible uh, um, negotiating techniques. Okay, let's uh, pause here. And Sean, are you on? Yes, sir. I'm on. Is there on. anybody to take questions? Okay. Let's uh, see if any anyone has questions about the Biden trip before we get into today's main uh, topic. Uh, it does not look like we have any questions on the Zoom or on our Facebook, so I think we are good to uh, keep chugging along. Okay. In that case, we will start with our discussion of uh, the main topic of uh, this, uh, this month's uh, talk, which is external conflicts in the MENA region. First of all, two general considerations that uh, need to be mentioned right at the beginning. First, most, but not all, external conflicts in the MENA region are external involvement in internal conflicts. In other words, it's not a strictly state versus state. It's state versus another state that is having internal problems and it's being interfered with from the outside. Secondly, most, but not all, external conflicts in the MENA region are reflections of the Sunni-Shia split in Islam. Okay, that being said, those general considerations being kept in mind, let's uh, talk about um, external conflicts in the MENA region. Starting in the far west, Morocco and Algeria have been in conflict for years over what is called the Western Sahara region. In the 1970s, when uh, the Spanish evacuated uh, the Western Sahara, which is the area south of, the, of, of Morocco proper, um, Morocco occupied it. And there was an indigenous independence movement that was supported by Mauritania and particularly by Algeria. Upheld the Polisario movement. Uh, at this point, Morocco controls about three quarters of the, the territory, including the entire seacoast. 
and uh, the Polisario Front uh, controls uh, the rest of it. Uh, and uh, there, there has been constant conflict, diplomatic, uh, political conflict between Morocco and Algeria ever since. Uh, now, during the Trump administration, uh, the United States recognized Moroccan sovereignty over the Western Sahara. Uh, this was a very significant move. Uh, not many countries have recognized uh, Moroccan uh, uh, sovereignty over the, its, uh, the Western Sahara. It certainly had improved relations very greatly and facilitated uh, the entry of Morocco into the Abraham Accords with Israel. And that has incidentally flourished and become very cordial. Uh, there are now uh, not only uh, all kinds of political and economic and trade agreements uh, between Israel and Morocco and um, a large, a fairly large number of, uh, of uh, commercial uh, deals between Moroccan and, and Israeli companies. But um, the, there is a uh, substantial defense uh, uh, cooperation between the two countries. The chief of staff of the Israeli armed forces, uh, is fact, in fact, is in uh, Morocco right now. And uh, there is a defense agreement between the two countries. And the chief of staff of the Moroccan army is going to be coming to Israel soon. Because uh, it, um, it, it's really uh, not, the, not only that, but the, uh, the, the, uh, the monarch, the king of uh, Morocco, uh, just a couple of days ago, announced uh, the establishment of several of, of, uh, committees and commissions to improve uh, the position of the Jewish community in Morocco. Uh, this, of course, was uh, greeted with great pleasure by, uh, uh, by Israel. Uh, this is... is angering the, uh, the Algerians uh, tremendously. On the other hand, it will undoubtedly, because of the technical assistance that the Israelis are now going to be giving to the Moroccans, will strengthen the position of Morocco and vis-a-vis -vis Algeria and in the Western Sahara in general. Uh, but uh, uh, at the point that there's certainly no likelihood that there's going to be any um, rapprochement between uh, Algeria and Morocco anytime soon. And Algeria remains one of the most anti-Israel of the Arab countries. Okay, continuing in the Maghreb, um, there has been substantial Turkish involvement in uh, Libya. Libya is one of the failed states in the MENA region, along with uh, Yemen, um, Lebanon and Syria. Um, following the, the downfall of, uh, of uh, uh, Gaddafi, um, Syria, I mean, Lebanon, uh, Libya has actually been divided into east and west portions. Uh, the western portion of the country uh, has the, the government that is recognized uh, by the international community, the United Nations and so on. Uh, the eastern half of the country is controlled by a government which is run by a charismatic military leader named, uh, um, uh, I can't think of his name right now, it doesn't matter. Anyway, Hafter, um, and uh, who was exiled and then he was a, a, a Libyan officer uh, general. He uh, uh, got into a conflict with uh, Gaddafi and uh, uh, fled to the United States. After Gaddafi fell, he went back to Libya and uh, he and his forces uh, control pretty much the uh, eastern half of the country. So the outside influence in, in uh, Libya uh, has been largely coming from Turkey. Now, Turkey, of course, is part of the MENA region. But it is, it is one of the two imperialist countries in the MENA region, the other being Iran, and we'll get to that uh, later. 
uh, and Turkey has been very, very much involved under the Erdogan government uh, throughout uh, the uh, the um, the MENA region, and in uh, the North African part of it, uh, primarily with reference uh, to to Libya, and has uh, Turkey has been supporting uh, the uh, the Libyan government. Haftar was about to take over everything when uh, the Turks intervened and, and uh, changed the uh, military situation on the ground, and he was driven back to, uh, to the eastern part of the country. At any rate, uh, this is certainly a, uh, an external involvement in Libya, although not in the, from the MENA region itself. Yemen, uh, which is a, uh, another failed state in, in uh, the Middle East. Um, three countries all from the Middle East have been interfering in Yemen. There has been a civil war in Yemen for years uh, between the internationally recognized government and a group, a Shia group called uh, the Houthis. Uh, the, um, the Houthis have taken over a good part of the country, including the capital, Sana'a. Uh, the the uh, formal government controls the southern part of the country. Uh, and uh, the Houthis are, are um, supported by Iran, uh, financially and militarily. And uh, the, uh, the government has been su uh, supported by Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates primarily from the outside. Uh, right now, there is a ceasefire that is in force and hopefully this is going to lead to some kind of uh, agreement uh, between the, the battling parties. Uh, it's hard to see exactly what this uh, would result in because uh, uh, the, the Houthis either take over the country or they don't take over the country. And uh, the, uh, the Iranians are, are, of course, pushing the Houthis to, to continue uh, with, uh, with their efforts to take over the whole country. Uh, uh, and it's hard to see what kind of agreement they could come to. Uh, but this is something that's festering there in the uh, uh, southwestern corner of the uh, Arabian Peninsula. <clears throat> and uh, we'll probably continue for God knows how long. Okay, Lebanon is another failed state. Uh, it is basically controlled by the terrorist organization Hezbollah. Uh, and uh, Hezbollah is backed by Iran. Uh, at this point, the Iranian involvement in Lebanon is not re is is pushed back by a number of countries, particularly in the case of Lebanon, France, because uh, they were the uh, mandatory in in uh, Lebanon and they feel responsible to some extent. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the uh, Lebanese uh, government really controls not much of anything. The Lebanese armed forces are much less uh, powerful than Hezbollah, and. Um, uh, the government is basically, the country is basically bankrupt. Um, certainly, uh, this is a very substantial problem in the Middle East uh, because of its effect on uh, both Syria and particularly Israel. Uh, because uh, the southern part of Lebanon uh, is totally controlled by Hezbollah. Hezbollah is, uh, is uh, hostile uh, to uh, Israel. Uh, they have uh, thousands of missiles and uh, rockets that have been supplied to them by uh, Iran. And uh, it's, uh, it's quite conceivable, in fact, likely, I would say, at some point, if uh, the Iranian government feels threatened in some way, that they would, they would tell their proxies, Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in um, Gaza, to attack Israel simultaneously. Um, and uh, that would be a very serious problem for Israel because even though Israel has some of the most advanced anti-missile and anti-rocket systems in the world, uh, when you're facing uh, the, uh, an enemy which fire 
a thousand rockets a day at you uh, from both north and south. Um, uh, the, the, the only real uh, effective defense against this is what's being worked on now uh, uh, by uh, Israel, which is the most advanced country uh, in, um, in this uh, area of uh, military uh, technology, and that is uh, laser defense, because a, a laser cannon can fire any number of times. A anti-missile missile can be fired once. It destroys the incoming missile or rocket, and then it's gone. Uh, whereas a laser uh, gun can fire many times and destroy many rockets and missiles coming in at, at any height. And uh, the, the anti-missile systems uh, are limited in their depending on which kind you're using uh, and the, the height of the rockets and missiles it can, um, it can destroy. Uh, and that, uh, that technology is now very advanced. Uh, the, uh, the, the uh, tests have been all successful and it has uh, gone into production. And this is something that's also of very great interest to the United States uh, because of uh, the uh, new rocket technology, some of which come in under the, the radar and some of which come in so high that they go over. And uh, the, the, uh, um, the anti-missile system, which is in place in the United States, is unable to cope with this. Whereas if the U.S. had this kind of laser defense, it would be uh, much safer. Okay. Another of the failed states in the Middle East is uh, Syria. Syria has been uh, in the midst of a civil war for years, and um, it's being interfered with with just about everybody, uh, particularly the Turks, the Israelis, the Saudis, and the Iranians. Uh, there are a substantial number of Shia in uh, Syria. There are also a substantial number of Kurds in Syria who are, are uh, very, uh, very uh, much against the, the Syrian government. The Syrian government at this point uh, controls maybe 30 to 35% of the country. Uh, the rest of the country is controlled by various proxies of the Turks, uh, of the Saudis and of the Iranians uh, and Israel uh, constantly uh, attacks uh, through uh, its air force, uh, Iranian um, facilities in, in Syria. Uh, at, and then the other uh, very significant outside uh, influence in Syria is from Russia. Uh, the Russians have a naval and air base in Syria, both on the coast. For the first time in history, Russia has a presence in the Mediterranean, a military presence. This is something that the Russians have wanted for centuries. Um, now, the, obviously, the Israelis avoid uh, uh, putting any of the, uh, the Russian facilities in danger. Uh, uh, the, the Turks uh, leave them alone and uh, and the Iranian, Iranians don't like it, but there's nothing much they can do about it. Uh, however, uh, it has affected uh, the Israeli attitude towards the uh, Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, the, um, the Israelis have an agreement the Iranian facility. Now, if Israel, if, if Israel came out very strongly in favor of Ukraine and provided Ukraine with military equipment or technology, uh, the Russians would certainly uh, eliminate that um, uh, that uh, agreement with with Israel. This would be very difficult for Israel, and this is why uh, the Israeli involvement uh, in the Russian-Ukrainian conflict has been limited to uh, uh, humanitarian measures. Uh, Israeli set up a hospital in, in Ukraine to uh, um, 
treat uh, the, the uh, wounded, the, the war wounded. Um, it uh, has accepted a large number of, uh, of the Ukrainian uh, refugees uh, and has provided uh, protective equipment uh, for the Ukrainian armed forces, but no offensive equipment or technology. Okay. Iraq. Iraq is uh, one of the two countries in the Middle East that is predominantly Shia. The other one, of course, being Iran. Um, and following the, uh, the downfall of Saddam Hussein uh, due to the uh, American invasion, which was uh, supposedly because of uh, his uh, his uh, weapons of mass destruction, uh, which turned out to be non-existent. Um, and uh, the US has been involved there for ever since. Um, and it's, it's uh, 2001 to, 2000 to, to today, so it's over 20 years now. Um, the, um, uh, the Iranian involvement is constant. It supports the various Shiite mo Shia movements in in uh, Iraq, uh, there are numerous um, frontier uh, um, in incidents, and uh, it recently has been uh, attacking uh, the uh, the Kurdish autonomous uh, region in northern Iraq. Uh, that this is uh, this is something which is uh, very serious. Uh, Iraq is uh, the Iraqi government. Uh, is stronger than the Syrian government, the Yemeni government, or the or the Lebanese government, uh, but it still uh, is under serious attack by uh, by not only the Iranians but by their proxies within the country, and that is a serious problem. Okay, um, now a few words about the role of the non-MENA countries. The United States, Europe, Russia, and China, uh, in in all these uh, conflicts, Morocco, Algeria, Syria, Lebanon, and, and others. Uh, as far as the Morocco-Algerian conflict is concerned, uh, Algeria has no no outside supporters. Uh, no other countries support the Algerian position. They may not, and most of them do not, recognize Moroccan um, sovereignty over the Western Sahara, but they're not supporters of Algeria in terms of the conflict between Algeria and Morocco. On the other hand, uh, not only the United States, but also uh, particularly in, the, in uh, Europe, uh, uh, France and Spain are very strong supporters of uh, the Moroccan uh, government. Uh, the Russians and the Chinese have not uh, been uh, particularly involved at all in that particular conflict. On the other hand, as I pointed out, uh, Russia and uh, to some extent, uh, uh, well, Russia is, is, is very much involved in Syria uh, and, um, it, uh, and Russia and to some extent um, France are involved in, in uh, Lebanon. Uh, and um, the, the Chinese penetration into the Middle East, uh, the MENA region in general, is almost entirely uh, economic and cultural. Uh, there have been many very large uh, Chinese investments, uh, particularly in the Middle East, not so much in North Africa, and, um, and uh, large uh, attempts to uh, spread the uh, Chinese culture uh, through uh, Confucian institutes and by other, other means. Okay, let's uh, talk a little bit uh, about uh, the role of non-state actors in, uh, in uh, the, the various parts of the Amina region and uh, their cross-border activities. Um, first of all, some that I've already mentioned, Hezbollah and Hamas, Hezbollah certainly uh, which is uh, located in, primarily in southern Lebanon, but also has a presence in southern Syria, 
uh, is a constant, is a, an Iranian proxy and is a constant threat to uh, Israel. Uh, Hamas, and, and, and it's a Shia, it's a Shia movement. Uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip, uh, which despite being uh, Sunni, uh, is supported by Iran and supplied uh, militarily and financially by the Iranians. And uh, another uh, terrorist group that, uh, that operates in, uh, in Gaza called uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Um, which is smaller than Hamas, but still uh, 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 dangerous. And again, uh, it is this is a primarily a threat to Israel, but it's also a threat to uh, to Egypt. And both Israel and Egypt uh, have established blockades of uh, of Gaza. Uh, and and uh, this, but the uh, the the Hamas has. Um, thousands of rockets and missiles, not as many as Hezbollah, but a very large and substantial number. Then you have organizations, terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda was uh, thrown out of, uh, of Afghanistan. It's now very much back in Afghanistan since the Taliban took over after the United States abandoned the country uh, last year. Uh, and um, there are now three groups uh, contending for control of, of Afghanistan. One is uh, the Taliban, of course. Uh, one is Al-Qaeda, which is very strong in parts of Afghanistan. And uh, the, the third group, which operates from the north of Afghanistan, uh, including uh, the remnants of the uh, army uh, and other groups, uh, anti-Pashtun groups uh, that are uh, operating out of uh, northern, uh, northern um, Afghanistan against uh, the Taliban government. Uh, so Al-Qaeda is by no means uh, gone. It is very much alive and is present also very much in Syria. It controls part of Syria through uh, uh, different groups. It also is, is active in, um, in North Africa, unlike most of the uh, non-state actors. Uh, and, um, and it even has a presence in, in various African countries south of the Sahara. And uh, finally, we can mention uh, ISIS, Islamic State, which uh, despite the fact that its caliphate was uh, uh, destroyed, um, it, uh, it continues to exist and it continues uh, to interfere uh, in uh, the various uh, countries of the, of the Middle East, not so much in uh, North Africa, but in the Middle East, uh, particularly uh, in, uh, in Syria, in Iraq, uh, and um, in, uh, in Lebanon, but mostly in Syria and Iraq, as well as uh, uh, to some extent in, in uh, the Gulf region. Um, I think at this point, what I will do is uh, open up the floor for questions and uh, and comments, discussion in general. Thank you, Dr. Bailey. Um, it doesn't look like we have any questions in the chat right now, either on the Zoom or on Facebook. But if there were any, you know, uh, any more remarks you wanted to give regarding, uh, you know, the failed states or just general external conflicts in the MENA region that you think our audience uh, would like to take away, uh, feel free to do that as well. Okay. Um, I think it's been, it's obvious to you from what I've said so far that uh, that these, the conflict situation in the MENA region is extremely complex. There are outside actors, there are inside imperialist powers, there are failed states, and there are non-state actors. They're all operating all over the place. Now, more so in, in some areas than and others. Uh, in, the, in North Africa, 
the, the main country that's affected this way is, is Libya. Uh, now, having said that, Tunisia, which uh, a lot of people thought was going to become a democratic country after the so-called Arab Spring, uh, is now uh, retrogressing into uh, authoritarianism. And um, there is uh, a lot of uh, opposition, internal opposition to the, um, to the current government and uh, democratic movements and other, other sorts of movements. And it's quite conceivable that outside countries, particularly Algeria, uh, might start interfering, interfering in, um, in uh, Tunisia. Uh, it's also conceivable that Turks might get involved, uh, some of the European countries per, perhaps. Um, but uh, the, uh, other than that, and Libya, uh, the North African region is considerably less complex than the, the Middle East region in uh, MENA. Uh, in the Middle East, uh, you have all of these forces operating simultaneously in various parts of the region. It ranges from countries like the United Arab Emirates, which are peaceful and, and uh, prosperous and uh, is a member of an Abraham Accord with, with Israel. Um, and uh, even though it's involved with, uh, with Yemen, uh, it, uh, isn't, it, it, has, it has been able to maintain fairly good relations with Iran. Uh, that same is true of Oman, which is uh, a Gulf state and the very bottom of the uh, um, northeast or uh, the southeast uh, of the uh, of this of the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, Oman is is peaceful and prosperous, uh, and it also has been able to maintain uh, pretty good relations with uh, with uh, with Iran. Kuwait, which is at the top of the Gulf. Uh, which is not particularly um, uh, friendly to Israel and has not become has not joined the Abraham Accords, um, uh, feels that it has to keep uh, good relations with Iran uh, because it's practically on the border with Iran, not quite, but almost. Uh, and, uh, and we know, of course, that it, uh, it uh, was rescued from uh, uh, Saddam Hussein. Uh, by uh, the uh, the Western uh, powers uh, in um, uh, the uh, the Bush first Bush administration and so on and so forth, uh, but it is also a prosperous, uh, stable uh, country. Uh, Saudi Arabia is uh, prosperous and pretty much uh, at peace, although uh, the the Houthis have uh, sent some rockets over, and this has. Um, been something of a problem, um, but uh, that hasn't uh, happened for a while. And uh, by and large, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, so you 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 have uh, by and large the Gulf states and uh, including uh, Saudi Arabia uh, that are are in in pretty good shape uh, with reference to the Middle East in general, uh, and, and Israel. <coughs> Which is democratic and prosperous, um, is also stable. Uh, the rest of the Middle East is is a is a disaster area. Uh, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, uh, and uh, Iran and Turkey. Um, and the uh, the Turks and the Iranians are interfering everywhere, uh, but they have serious internal problems. Uh, the economic situation in both countries is very, very bad. Um, most don't realize that um, that the, per the ethnic Persians are only about half the population of Iran. The other half are Azeris, uh, Kurds, Arabs, and Baluchis. Uh, the um, the Arabs, Kurds, and uh, Azeris are in the northeast and. Uh, uh, northwest, I'm sorry, and the 
Baluchis are in the, the Southeast. And uh, particularly the, the, the Kurds, the Arabs, and the Baluchis are anti the Iranian government. And a very large percentage of the uh, Persian people have also, because they feel that, 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 the, uh, that the theological uh, uh, dictatorship uh, has, has really destroyed uh, much of the glorious uh, uh, history of, of Persia for, for millennia, um, are very anti-government. Uh, it's not widely known that about four years ago, uh, the uh, Iranian army, which is separate from the Revolutionary Guard, uh, tried to stage a coup. Uh, the coup was put down by the Revolutionary Guard, which is actually larger and better equipped than the regular armed forces. Uh, and of course, the uh, uh, the regular army, Navy and Air Force were, uh, were purged afterwards. Nevertheless, there is such constant up, uh, demonstrations and riots in in the Iranian uh, cities over over the economic situation uh, and uh, often it gets in political and then people are yelling down with the mullahs and so on and so forth uh, that uh, it's quite conceivable that uh, that uh, there might be a, a coup d'etat uh, in uh, in uh, Tehran and uh, the overthrow of the uh, of the uh, Islamic government uh, in Tehran. And that leads to one of the most dangerous situations potentially in the Middle East, uh, which is if the Iranian government feels threatened, it may try to divert attention by attacking Israel uh, and by telling both directly and by telling its uh, proxies, Hezbollah and uh, Hamas, to simultaneously attack Israel. And having said that, let me just say a few words uh, before wrapping up <coughs> about the uh, Palestinian situation. As I'm sure you all know, uh, the, uh, the Palestinians uh, are divided into uh, three groups, the refugees who exist all over the Middle East um, and have not been give, given citizenship by any of the countries in the Middle East except for Jordan. Um, the, uh, the, what is called the West Bank, uh, which is uh, Samara and Judea, um, which is governed by the Palestinian Authority, and Hamas and uh, the Gaza Strip, which is governed by a terrorist organization, Hamas. Um, the uh, Hamas and the Palestinian Authority hate each other. Uh, this is this is the good news. Uh, the bad news is that uh, uh, Hamas is much more powerful than uh, than the Palestinian Authority. And if elections were ever held uh, in uh, the West Bank, uh, Hamas would almost certainly win, which is why um, the Palestinian Authority has postponed elections multiple times in the last couple of decades. Uh, but this again is a situation that is very uh, much a problem uh, with reference to outside countries um, interfering. Interfering less so that is that tendency is now improved because many of the Arab countries have basically given up on the on the Palestinians and uh, they have. Uh, uh, much less support from the Arab world than they used to have, and Israel is is doing much better with the Arab countries than it used to. So uh, there is both good and bad news in that particular situation. Um, I'm, uh, let me stop here and uh, see have, have any questions come in or yes, we actually comments? had yes, uh, two questions came in, uh, one from the Zoom and one from the Facebook. Uh, we'll start with the one on the Facebook one. Uh, do you have uh, anything to say about the uh, status of the petrodollar after the um, uh, Biden visit? The status of what? Uh, the petrodollar. 
federal dollar? Yes, sir. Uh, okay, well, I, if I know, if I understand what you mean by the petrol dollar, uh, I would say that uh, uh, because uh, the, the, the Biden visit to Saudi Arabia was really a complete nothing, I mean, it, in fact, if anything, it, it made the situation worse, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia is not going to increase oil production. It, it won't have any effect whatsoever on, on the situation with reference to shortages of oil and gas uh, in uh, Europe or in uh, the United States. Okay. And our second question is, uh, what are the geopolitical or security concerns with uh, Jordan given Iraq's uh, Basra Aqaba oil pipeline uh, within the context of the MENA region? Well, I, I think that uh, you know the the that's a that's a good question because of uh, the the I know, the pipeline situation is is uh, uh, is very interesting. Um, uh, that there's not only that uh, situation in um, in uh, the eastern part of the region, but there's also the situation of the uh, the gas being discovered and being being exploited by Israel, Egypt, and Cyprus. Uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, which is was supposed to um, reach Europe by a pipeline uh, through uh, Cyprus and Greece into the rest of Europe. Uh, but the uh, United States, the Biden administration withdrew the support of uh, the United States from that uh, pipeline. So now uh, the Turks are desperately trying to improve relations with Israel because they would like that pipeline to go through Turkey and so on. Uh, the problem, of course, is that, that nobody trusts Erdogan anymore about anything. Are there any other questions or comments? Uh, that looks to be it. Okay. In that case, I look forward to seeing you all uh, a month from now. Yes, yeah, so thank you. Thank you, you very much. And thank you to uh, everybody that joined us today. We appreciate uh, everyone uh, joining our sponsor talk from the Institute of World Politics. Uh, we're a graduate school of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. And we offer a doctoral program, seven master's degree programs, including two that are online, and 18 certificates of graduate study. Uh, if you are at all interested in attending any up upcoming events, uh, I know we have uh, three more with Dr. Bailey in the next three months. Uh, making a gift to IWP or applying to one of our graduate programs, please feel free to visit iwp.edu. Uh, and like always, thank you for joining us here uh, for one of our sponsored lecture events. And thank you again, Dr. Bailey.